Man, I've been fired up for like a month to pre- preach this message today. So I just want you to relax. You don't have to rush to lunch because we've already got it for you in the foyer. So everybody can just go, everybody just say, it's okay. Let's just get something out of the word today, right? Touch your neighbor, say, relax. We're going to hear the word. Yes, and if your mom's sitting next to her, tell her, you know, relax, mama. That's, that's what we got. Even if she's not your mom, you can still say it. It doesn't matter. All right. Let's pray, because I believe God's got something good in store for you today. Father God, I pray right now in Jesus' name that I would not be seen today, but that your word would be seen that Christ would be exalted, and that you would use the frailty of my words to communicate the life-changing truth of your word. I pray, God, that what is spoken today would take root in our hearts as we hear your word, as we study, as we dig in. God, transform us as we hear and understand your word today. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. How many of you have ever heard the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? Raise your hand. Okay, I don't want to assume that anybody's heard it, so I'm just going to really quickly recap the story. In 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 the time um, prior to Christ coming, it's kind of the last segment that we really read about in Scripture. All of Isaiah points to this time. All of Jeremiah points at this time. Most of the minor prophets point to this time where um, the Israelites are in Babylonian captivity. And there's this king that is the Babylonian king, and his name is Nebuchadnezzar. It's a great name, right? And so King Nebuchadnezzar has this dream, and in this dream, he dreams about this giant statue. And the statue that he sees has a gold head, a silver chest, a bronze kind of apron. You know how the, the ancient warriors had kind of the aprons that they wore? That was kind of a bronze apron. Then he had iron legs, and then his feet were made of a mixture of iron and clay. Okay? And he has this dream, and he gives it to Daniel, actually comes and tells him what his dream is. And then um, he says, Oh, wow, there really is a God. And, you know, he goes through this whole thing, has this moment of repentance that lasted for like five minutes. And then he decides, hey, you know what? I didn't like Daniel's dream interpretation because what Daniel said was, hey, the gold head, that represents Babylon. King, you're a great, you're awesome, you're elevated, and you're the top dog. You're the first one in. But after you, there's coming a silver, and then there's coming a bronze, and then there's coming an iron, and then at the end, there's coming this this clay-iron mixture that's going to make the whole thing crumble, and I just... King, you got to watch out because there's some coming after you that are greater than you. Well, the king didn't like that dream. And so what he decided to do was make his own statue. But instead of making one to mimic his dream, he decided to make the whole thing out of gold, right? Hey, I'm not going to do silver, iron, brass, and an iron clay thing. I'm going to do just gold. And that way it establishes my kingdom, my way forever. Nobody's coming that's greater than me. I'm going to be the top dog, right? And so he creates this statue and his requirement then is, hey, everybody, when I have the musicians play, when they strike up the band, everybody's going to bow down and worship this statue of me and honor me. There's a problem. 
Because the music plays, and I don't know what they're like, if it's Sweet Home Alabama or what it was, but they're playing music, right? And, and when they, they play the music, all these people fall down in worship, except a notable exception. There's three dudes that just stand up. They're like, no, not today, Linda, not today. And they just stand there. They stand there. And the king gets word from his kind of overseers because it's a massive crowd, but his overseers see it, and they didn't kind of like these three Hebrew boys anyway. And so he says, hey, listen, there's these three Hebrew guys that are high up officials in your, and they're not, they're a terrible example. They won't bow down. The king says, bring them to me. So that they bring them to the king, and the king says, you got to bow down. If you don't bow down, I'm going to throw you in a fiery furnace. How about them apples? And so throws them in the fiery furnace, the whole thing, all this. And so this is kind of the the nutshell of the story. But now I'm going to take you back and we're going to go through the whole thing. And I want us to look at this in depth because the way that you heard it in Sunday school may not be the way that the scripture really wants us to see it because it can come alive to you in a different way. But what tends to happen with our Sunday school understanding of the scripture is that it's just a story. It's just a neat cartoon, right? If it were a veggie tale, it was Rack Shack and Benny. How many of you saw Rack Shack and Benny? right? Come on. And this isn't Rack Shack and Benny. This is Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and we're going to take a look at it. All right. I want to, I want to look at this uh, Daniel chapter 3. I want to start with verse 15, and I just want to read this, um, kind of the king's words to them and then their response. All right. So let's start there. Now, if you are ready, when you hear the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, trigon, harp, bagpipe, and every kind of music, to fall down and worship the image that I have made. What does it say there? Fall down. It doesn't say bow down. It says fall down. That's going to be important later. He says, well and good, but if you do not worship, you shall immediately be cast into a burning, fiery furnace. And who is the God who will deliver you out of my hands? Do you hear that? Now, This is the great part. This is my favorite part of the whole story. Listen to this, because this is their response. Verse 16, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. Don't you love that? That's pretty audacious, isn't it? If this be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace. And he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But if not, be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. I love movies and every movie that is worth watching has that pivotal line in it, doesn't it? How many of you, let's do a little quiz, okay? You ready? I'm going to give a movie line. You give me the movie is from. You ready? I'll be back. So good. You guys, audience participation. All right, I'm going to do a little bit. Some of you may not be into these kinds of movies, but I'm going to do this. Why, Johnny Ringo, you look like someone just walked over your grave. Who hit that one? Who is Tombstone? Thank you, CJ. Yeah, right on. All right, how about this? I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. That was a terrible godfather. Okay. How about this? 
Go ahead. Make my day. What was it? Dirty Harry. That's good. How about this? You talking to me? Taxi driver. All right, all right, all right. All right, then, then, you, got, then you got the Disney songs. Some of you are like, I, I've never seen those movies, but I know what it's from. I remember the line, right? Right? Okay. Like there's the one movie that I haven't seen that most of you have probably seen, but there's this one key line where this, this woman says, come back, come back. Do you remember that it was Titanic? A lot of, okay, that was terrible, Rose. But yeah, that's what I was doing. <clears throat> so I always think when I, because I've seen that clip of the movie because apparently it's iconic, you know, because Jack is sinking next to the boat and, and, and Rose is, come back, come back. And I'm thinking, why don't you just scoot over and pull him in, you know? Like he could come back, move yourself a little bit, pull old boy up in the boat. I don't know. Anyway. So we've got, but then, but then you have like the Disney movies, right? And how many of you, you all know the songs, right? Do you want to build a snowman? <laughs> right? I can show you the world. Did somebody say Frozen on I Can Show You the World? Please don't. Please don't. Please don't. Just stay with Terminator. Stay with Terminator. Stay, right? So there's all of these movies. Though, right? When you got even, I, I was singing this at the store the other day, and my kids were like, Dad. I was, I wish I could be the perfect daughter. Yeah. But I don't want to be the perfect daughter. But you know the song is from Juana. Okay, good. So there's all of these lines that we remember. Then in real life, we have other things that we remember, right? We've got stuff like, how many of you remember this? I have a dream. Martin Luther King, right? How about, this is a little older. Some of you may not know this, but it's very historically significant. Never, never, never give up. Does anybody know? Winston Churchill, I heard it whispered because you're a little afraid that it may not be the right answer, but it's Winston Churchill. Great line. How about this one? This one, you all should know. If you're in church, you should know this one. It is finished. Come on, right? And so this, for me, is one of those moments that in the Bible, this is so important, these words. Even if he doesn't, we won't serve your God. Now, I want, I want you to hear this because this is so cool, and it's very strategic the way they put what they say. Listen to what they say. They say, O Nebuchadnezzar, We have no need to answer you in this matter. If this be so, our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace. What's he able to deliver them from? The fiery furnace. Now listen to what he says next. He says, and he will deliver us, he will deliver us out of your hand, okay? So so notice they say, he can deliver us from the furnace, We're not sure if he will or not. He will deliver us one way or another. He will deliver us from you. Do you hear that? Because what they're saying is we're resolved. Come what may, we're delivered from you. And you're the oppressor. You're the enemy. You're the one that's out to get us. You're the one that is in the invading force that took us captive. You're the bad guy. And God can deliver us from the fiery furnace, but even if he doesn't deliver us from the furnace, he will deliver us from you. 
Because if I go into that furnace, as hot as it is, if I die, I will be in the presence of God and I will be delivered from you. Do you hear that resolve? Where's the resolve in our day? That says, even if he doesn't, I won't bow to you. Man, we've got to have that kind of resolve. We've got to have that kind of resolve in our world. That's even if he doesn't type of faith. And you say, Pastor, but you don't understand. Baltimore's tough. It's a tough city. It's a tough crowd. You don't understand all the influences. And you don't understand everywhere I go, there's people and they're doing stuff. Can I tell you something? If these three Hebrew children can thrive in Babylon, you can thrive in Baltimore. Because not only was Babylon a bad place, Babylon was historically one of the worst civilizations in history. There is no historian who will argue the fact that Babylon was wicked. Nebuchadnezzar's hanging gardens were were lit with the bodies of people that he didn't like. And they would soak the bodies in oil, impale them on a pole, and catch them on fire to illuminate the beauty of his hanging gardens. Sounds like a decent place to live. It's insanity. But yet we have three Hebrew children who who thrive in Babylon. Not only do they thrive in Babylon, they excel. They, They actually climb the ladder of political power. With even if he doesn't kind of faith. That's what we've got to have in in our days. So, So here's the thing. What even if he doesn't kind of faith means is that when God doesn't behave the way you think that he should, you still behave the way you know you should. Right? Because that's what even if he doesn't faith does. God, I don't know if you're going to come through in this situation, but I know that I'm going to be faithful. I know that I'm going to do what I'm supposed to do. I know that I'm not going to bow to these idols no matter what kind of pressure I get. I'm going to stay faithful. I'm going to stand true, and I'm going to do what I know I'm supposed to do. That's what even if he doesn't, faith does. We need a group of people in this church who will be willing to stand and do the right thing no matter what. And can I tell you something? Who you stand with matters. One of the things that's interesting to me is every time you read in the book of Daniel about these guys, you always hear about them as the three. It never says, and Shadrach went over and did such and such. Abednego went over and did such and such. Every time, I actually got tired in my sermon notes of having to write Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego every time I wrote a name. Because every time they're talked about, it's the three together. Why? Because a cord of three strands is not easily broken. Why can these three guys stand up and everybody else bowed? Because there's strength in numbers and who you stand with matters. Who you hang with matters. I hear people all the time, they say to me, Pastor, I wish I could just get a word for the Lord for my life. I I feel like if I just get a word, 
in the Lord that I could get my life back on track and I could get moving in the right direction, but there's just so many difficult. All right, pastor, if I could, if I just, I wish somebody would just prophesy over me and give me some life. All right, I got a prophecy for you. Get some new friends. Get some friends who will stand. Stop hanging with people that bow all the time. It's easy to find people who will bow their knee to culture. It's easy to find churches that will bow their knee to culture. It's easy to find preachers who will preach to you in a way that bows the knee to culture. Stop hanging in that crowd. You got to start standing with some people and you got to stand with the right people. Flip back to Daniel chapter one. I want to kind of give some some more input to this story because I think this is so cool. Daniel chapter one, verse three, it says, then the king commanded Ashpenaz, his chief eunuch, to bring some of the people of Israel, both of the royal family. Now pay close attention who they're bringing, okay? Because let me explain something real fast. So the way that the Babylonians took over a civilization was that they would go in in waves. And what this is called where the Jews are kind of deported from their country is called the diaspora. Your neighbor and say, diaspora. Sounds like something that ferns use to reproduce. It's not. It's a different thing. So diaspora just simply means that they're displaced. It's the idea of displacement. And so the, the diaspora of the Jews came in three waves. And this part that we're reading about is the first wave of the diaspora, okay? And so listen to who they strategically pull in in this first wave of the diaspora. It says, I lost my place. It says, bring some of the people of Israel, both of the royal family and of the nobility, Youths without blemish, of good appearance, and skillful in all wisdom, endowed with knowledge, understanding, learning, and competent to stand in the king's palace and to teach them the literature and the language of the Chaldeans. The king assigned them a daily portion of food that the king ate and of the wine that he drank. They were to be educated for three years, and at the end of that time, they were to stand before the king. Among these were Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah of the tribe of Judah, and the chief of the eunuchs gave them names. Daniel he called Belteshazzar, Hananiah he called Shadrach, Mishael he called Meshach, and Azariah he called Abednego. So do you hear what's happening here? The first wave is the wave of influence. Bring me the best looking, the smartest, the the highest position holders, and I want you to take them captive first. And the way that we're going to do this is instead of imprisoning them, we're actually going to bring them to my table. I'm speaking as the king of Babylon. Bring them to my table and I'll give them my food and my wine, and I'll help create an appetite for the things of Babylon. So this is so strategic because he's pulling the influencers and influencing them. You see what he's doing? You see the enemy's strategy? 
Pull the influencers, pull the most handsome, pull the most attractive, pull the smartest, pull the most educated, pull the loftiest positioned people, drag them in, give them an appetite for the things of the world. And then when we bring in the next wave, we're ready to influence him with people that they trust. You see how that works? So this is what's happening. Now, what's the next thing that the king does as part of his strategy? He tries to give them a new identity. He changes their identity. And this is, this is so tr- strategic. And the, and the enemy does this still. He does this all the time. He tries to change your identity all the time. We talked about it a little bit last week about how, you know, he tries to get you to identify yourself with something that stands opposed to God, Right? So how many of you have ever used an excuse? Well, I just got that Irish temper, right? Uh, Well, you know, I'm just human. Oh, well, I have anxiety, right? What we're doing when we do that is we're receiving the identity and the label that the enemy has designed for us. But the, the real way to state it is, Man, I sometimes struggle with anxiety, but I know that God is able. God has set me in a place of strength. He says that I'm more than a conqueror in Christ Jesus. He says that greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. So even though sometimes I get sucked back into it, it's not who I am. Okay? That's where you got to live. You're going to struggle. I'm not saying you're not going to struggle. Heaven's sake, Jesus tells us in this life, there will be struggles, right? So it's kind of a guarantee. It's going to happen. It's going to be tough. But here's what happens. See, the, the king of Babylon knows that Hananiah means Yahweh is gracious. Eat that for just a second. Yahweh is gracious. Every time, and, and in Hebrew culture, it's not like in our culture. Like, the, the name Brad means broad meadow. I'm like, I don't know if my mom named me that to, like, expand my waistline over the years or, or what it was. But, like, broad meadow. I'm like, broad meadow. All right. Thanks. You know, but, but like, there, there are different names that have significance. And so it literally would have been like, in my case, if somebody came and knocked on my parents' door when I was a kid, they wouldn't have said, it wouldn't have been like, hey, can Brad come out and play? It literally would have been, hey, can Broad Meadow come out and play, right? Names didn't mean something. Names were something, right? So you were called, it wasn't like an interpretation. It's actually what it is, right? So, so the name Hananiah translates into our world as Yahweh is gracious, but he literally was called Yahweh is gracious. Every time somebody talked to him, they were like, hey, Yahweh is gracious. Can you come help me with this table? Right? So this is how it works in this culture. So your name is who you are. Your name identifies you. Your name is prophetic in your life. So you've got Hananiah, Yahweh is gracious, and Mishael, who is like Yahweh? That just sounds like you're daring somebody, doesn't it? Hey, what's up with you today? Who is like Yahweh? 
who is like Yahweh. And then you have Azariah, which means Yahweh has helped. You notice it's past tense. Why? Because you're trying to call into remembrance what God's already done so you don't get too psyched out and you know that what he's already done in the past, he's going to build on for the future. That's how this works. And so as, as we look at this, we see now what they do is they get these new names. Now, Daniel is the one name that we know for sure what his new name means. Belteshazzar becomes Daniel's name. So he, he's called in Hebrew scripture, he's called Daniel all the way through, which means beloved of God or worshiper of God or God is my judge. It can mean any of those three things. And so in those, it, so that's what he's called throughout throughout the whole of scripture. But he would have been in Babylon called Belteshazzar, which means the prince of Bel, which identified him in close relationship to one of the mighty gods, air quotes, of Babylon, right? And each one of these new names, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, also gave them a close association with the gods of the Babylonians. So instead of now identifying with God of Israel, the God, the one true God, now the king has changed their name. So I can no longer call you Yahweh is faithful. I can no longer call you Yahweh has helped. I can no longer call you who is like Yahweh. Now, every time you get called on, you get called on by the name of a foreign God that makes you want to vomit. So the goal is, if I can change your identity, I can change your life. And if I can change your life, I can change the life of everybody that you influence. But can I tell you something? The reverse of that is also true. God is trying to change your name. Right? Because you've been called a reject in your life. And God says, no, you're not. You're a son. You've had people look at you and say, you're a failure. Can't you just get something right? And God has said, you are the righteousness of God in Jesus Christ. So we got to pull on our new name, our new culture, because we're no longer citizens of Baltimore. We're not citizens of the United States. We're not citizens of earth. We're citizens of heaven. And our God is the God. And he's the one that gets to choose who we are called. And so once you get a hold of your identity, you'll be able to stand when everybody else is bowing down. I need you guys to understand this because this is so true. It's so life-giving. Now, let's look on just a little bit further. Um, we'll go back and look um, chapter 3. Remember, I, I want to read 15 and 16 again because I want to point something out. Now, if you're ready, when you hear the sound of the hornpipe, lyre, trigon, harp, bagpipe, and every kind of music to fall down and worship the image that I have made, well and good. But if you do not worship, you shall immediately be cast into a burning, fiery furnace. And who is the God who will deliver you out of my hands? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If this be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace. And if he will deliver us and if 
I'm sorry, and he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But if not, be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. What gives you that kind of resolve? See, I'm going to tell you guys, that type of resolve is not built in front of a, a God where you have a choice to make whether you're going to bow or, or die. That, that kind of resolution and faith is not built at the opening to a fiery furnace. That kind of faith was built in chapter 1. That kind of resolve was built in chapter 1, right? Because the choice they had was, hey, come sit at my table. Come eat my food. Come drink my drink. And they said, no. We're just going to eat vegetables. We refuse to build an appetite for the things of the enemy. We will not get hungry. We will not put ourselves in a position where we crave the food that the enemy offers. That's where the character was built. That's where the strength was built. That's where the resolve was built. See, the, the, the resolve isn't built in front of the idol. It's built at the table. The, the resolve is not built in front of a fiery furnace. It's built at the table. So if you're going to develop the kind of resolve that stands when everybody around you is bowing, you're going to have to develop it at the table. You're going to have to push back to some things that Satan's trying to lure you in to eat so that you'll start to crave what he has to offer. And some of you say, well, pastor, I've already eaten from it. Right now, in Jesus' name, God, I pray that you would give a revulsion to the things that the enemy has to offer, that it would literally, the thought of it, make each person sick in Jesus' name. I pray, God, that you would call them out and give them a hunger for who you are in Jesus' name, that they would crave only what comes from the table of the King of Kings in Jesus' name. All right, let's look at this a little bit more, and I, I, I'm going to try to push through as quick as I can. This is so, man, guys, I hope that we get this. I hope that we get this. All right, let's listen. Verse 19, it says, Then Nebuchadnezzar was filled with fury, and the expression of his face was changed against Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He ordered the furnace heated seven times more than it was usually heated, and he ordered some of the mighty men of his army to bind Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Just by the way, the term mighty men is the same term that was used of David's mighty men. They were the best, the most elite, the strongest, the most buff of all of his soldiers. And he says, hey, I want you guys, the best and brightest, most elite, strongest, biggest warriors, I want you to go in full battle dress and take these guys and throw them in that fire. I want to make a statement. And so here's the statement that got made. These men were bound in their cloaks, their tunics, their hats, and their other garments. And they were thrown in the burning fiery furnace. Now listen to this. Because what the king is doing is he's taking everything that belonged to them, everything that represented them, and he's trying to dispose of it at the same time. And so he has them bound hand and foot in everything that represents who they are. And he's trying to say, hey, look, if you won't come to my way of thinking, I want to destroy everything that you are. And so this powerful moment happens. Now listen to this. 
It says, because the king's orders were urgent and the furnace overheated, the flame of the fire killed those men who took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So you got these soldiers, these mighty men in full battle dress going to deliver these young Hebrew men into the fiery furnace. And what happens? The very thing that was designed to kill Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego killed their enemy. Can I tell you something? If you will allow God to do what he wants to do, some of the things that the enemy has designed to kill you will kill your enemy instead. The enemy is seeking to burn you up, to break you down, to destroy your life, and God is working in your favor. And you're not going to see it all the time. And it's going to feel hot. It doesn't say anywhere in the scripture that these guys didn't feel the warmth coming out of the furnace. And the furnaces that they use here, it's, it's the same type of furnace that they would have used to make the iron and the brass and all that stuff and melt it down. Have you ever seen those guys who, who have the forges or the glass furnaces and all those things, and it's just glowing inside like orange and yellow? That's the type of heat that we're talking about. The king just used, most scholars believe that this is probably the same furnace that he used to forge this giant 90-foot tall statue, right? And so it was not really necessarily something that was commonly used. It was just convenient. It was big, and it made a statement. You won't, you won't, bow to the God that I brought out of that fire, I will put you in the fire that he came out of. Do you see the statement that's being made here? And so this idea, man, he's just trying to blow these guys up. This is what happens. It says, and these three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, in case you forgot, fell bound into the burning fiery furnace. So my question is, if the guards who were supposed to throw them in the furnace died, how did they get in the furnace? Right? And so it says that they were bound. And so you would think human, if the furnace is this way, the dudes that are trying to put you in the furnace fall down dead, the human response would be, Right? That would be the human response. But their response was, the scripture says they fell in to the furnace. Does that word sound familiar? They fell in? Because it says in chapter 3, verse 15, now if you are ready when you hear the sound of the hornpipe, lyre, trigon, harp, bagpipe, and every kind of music to fall down and worship the image. See, here's what I think. Because what does the scripture say happens next? It says, then King Nebuchadnezzar was astonished and rose up in haste. He declared to his counselors, did we not cast three men bound into the fire? They answered and said to the king, true, O king. I think they said, yup. <laughs> right? He answered and said, but I see Four men unbound walking in the midst of the fire and they are not hurt and the appearance of the fourth is like the son of God. So check it. 
Here's what I think happens. I think before Nebuchadnezzar saw Jesus in the furnace, I think Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego saw Jesus in the furnace. And they said, hey, we wouldn't bow to that God, but we sure will fall down and bow this one. And and it didn't seem logical that they should want to fall toward the fire. The, The logic would say fall away from the fire, but if Jesus is in the fire, fall that way. If Jesus is in the midst of the furnace, fall in the furnace. If it seems hot, it doesn't matter because Jesus is there. And if Jesus is there, he's going to take care of you. See, because what happens to them in the middle of the fire, it doesn't burn them. It doesn't scorch them. It doesn't melt their face off. It's nothing like Indiana Jones and Raiders of the Lost Ark. These guys fall in the furnace. And after they fall, the scripture tells us they were able to dance. Right? Why were they able now to be free to walk around and dance and rejoice and worship? Because everything that served to bind them before was now gone in the presence of Jesus. Because the fire that was sent to consume them, it did consume them, but in a different way. Because the consuming fire of the presence of God rebuffed the fire of the enemy and they were saved. This isn't the way I learned it in Sunday school, guys. This is not the way I learned it in Sunday school. You see, when they fell, they didn't find frailty. They found freedom. And that's, I think, our concern is that if we fall, it's going to expose our frailty. It's going to expose our weakness. It's going to expose our bondage. But can I tell you something? Who cares? Who are you trying to please by pretending you're not broken? Who are you trying to make happy by pretending that you're not in bondage? Who is going to think so much better of you because of all of the hiccups and hangups that you deal with? Who are you trying to impress? No, seriously. Who are you trying to impress? You trying to impress me? I'm so impressed when you're free. And what I know is we've got to bring bondage into a light before it can be dealt with and before it can be exposed and before it can be destroyed. It's got to happen. And God wants you to be free. He designed you for freedom. See, the thing that was meant to kill Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego actually killed their enemies. The cross that was intended to kill Jesus actually defeated his enemies. The devil, I can imagine the devil on Friday. Boys, we got it. Because here, here's the thing. The devil doesn't know the future. And so on Friday, he was feeling pretty good. We did it. We did it. Look at this. We got him on a cross. We killed the son of God. We did it, guys. There's high fives all over hell. Yes. They're opening up the six packs. They're they're getting the party started. They got the music on. They're ready to go. And then they're partying all night long on Friday night. This is so good. We just nailed it. We got it. Saturday, all day, they're watching the disciples cry. 
They're watching them mourn. They see the mother of Jesus struggling. They're like, look what we did, boys. Yes. But then Sunday came. One little hiccup in Satan's plan. I love the way when I was growing up, there was this uh, song by Carmen called Sunday's on the Way. How many of you remember Carmen? Raise your hand. So for everybody else, this is brand new information. This is so cool. You're hearing it for the very first time. I could have pretended like I really like wrote this song. You know, like I, I get it. <clears throat> He does this whole thing where he's in his song, he's got the, the devil makes a call to the grave and says, hey, have you, have you checked on him? I'm a little bit nervous. And grave says, man, he's dead. He's gone. He ain't never coming back. He's on ice. He's out. Are, are you sure? Have you, have you really looked close? I'm telling you, boss, he is Hang on just a second. Why? What's wrong? What's, what's going on? Um, just, uh, see, Satan grabs the phone and says, hey, you know what? I, I remember this guy named Lazarus. And, 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 and Jesus allowed him to stay in the grave for four days. But, but he's told us that, that, that he's only going to be dead three. So... So I'm just a little concerned because there's been a great party up to this point, but what is going to happen now? And Graves says, boss, you don't have to worry about it. I told you he's gone. So listen, I'll just catch you. I, I, I'll just catch you. I, hang on. He's, his toes are starting to twitch. Oh, no. He's starting to glow. Oh, no, this thing isn't going the way that I planned. Oh, no, I thought it was over. I thought it was over, but it's not over because Jesus is alive. See, the fire that was intended to kill these boys, all it did was burned off the ropes that bound them. That's all it did. They came out. The Bible says that their clothes didn't even smell like smoke. How cool is that? They just walk out. They're like, hey, uh, I, I think your furnace is broken. You might want to call somebody because when we went in there, we thought we were going to die from the heat. Like those guys, you might want to do something with them because they're. Is that tan or is that? No, that's not tan. No. So anyway, you may want to call the repairman on your furnace because it's not great. Because we were just in there and we didn't even break a sweat. I mean, smell our clothes. See that? Oh, Shadrach, you need to put on some deodorant, brother. But there, there's no smoke smell. And so, so what could have been a moment that destroyed them served as a moment to promote them. It served as a moment to promote them. There's so much that I want to share, and there's so much more that I want to go on to. And I might tell the story of Daniel in a couple weeks, but, but I want you guys to understand that there is power in these old Sunday school stories. 
there's transformation in these stories that we've just kind of marginalized. They should be shaping the way you think. They should be shaping who you are. They should be motivating your identity. It should never be one of those moments where you sit back and say, oh, wow, that was a great story. No, this is something that motivates us for how to live, how to respond. Where are you going to encounter Jesus? How is he going to transform your life? How is he going to shape your circumstances into something that will give him maximum glory? Because what is Nebuchadnezzar's response? You're God. It's your God. He's, he's exalted. I remember when Daniel gave the vision and he told me my dream and I was like, your God is God. And then I kind of lost it and I made the little gold statue. But now I see in your life, God is God. He's big. He's bigger than my stupid statue. He's amazing. Now, we know that it didn't reform Nebuchadnezzar's heart. We know that Nebuchadnezzar remained a wicked king. But even the wickedest of kings could not help but acknowledge the greatness of God. Stand with me. Let's pray. I believe God's been working some things out. And I hope that God has illuminated his word to you in a way that helps shape the way that you react and the way that you behave and the way that you live and the way that you process what happens in the midst of your biggest trials. And let me tell you guys something. Who you stand with matters. Get a posse. Get a tribe. And once you do, decide. I'm going to be for the good of every person in this group, no matter who they are. I'm going to be for the good of every person here. No matter if I feel attacked, no matter if I feel beat up on, I'm going to lift them up. I'm going to strengthen them. I'm going to encourage them. Find a tribe, guys. Live in it. Grow in it. Stand together and you guys will experience a new level of ability to overcome. Let me pray over you. Father God, thank you for each person that is here today. Lord, your spirit is strong in here today. We feel your presence. We know you're at work. God, I pray that you would take what has been spoken in your word, bring it to life in us and transform us through it. In Jesus' name we pray. The whole church said, amen. God bless you guys. We'll see you next week.